Hey, hello. Welcome to the Nomad Tactics Podcast. Here we provide life-optimizing tips and systems for digital nomads. I'm your host, B, and I'm joined once again by the co-host, Jack. The episode today is about long-term storage solutions for digital nomads. I will start with a quick summary of the episode. First, me and Mr. Jack are going to talk about in which step of our broader digital nomad life system this topic better fit in. After that, we're going to make some general considerations about long-term storage for your belongings. Then we will talk about the different methods and solutions for long-term storage. Finally, we're going to provide the Nomad Tactics recommendation in terms of long-term storage. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, hello, Mr. B. Hello, Mr. Jack. So, How are you? Um, pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Um, just done a surgery a couple of days ago. I see. Recovering well. Small nice. surgery. But, yep. Let's keep it going. Okay, cool. So, the topic of today is storage options for digital nomad. That's right. And, of course, you know, uh, we uh, digital nomad tactics are all for the systems. Mm-hmm. And one of the system we have is digital nomad life system. Yep. Not this, one of the systems, I would say. The main system. Main system? I mean, the hopefully we're going to have more system in the future. Yep. That's right. And, uh, of course, this system is a step-by-step roadmap that helps you become a digital nomad. Yep. So, since this is a six-step system, mm-hmm. uh, where do you think this topic uh, long-term storage will fit in so i think this topic is quite easily situated in the first step of the system the first step of the system is called a nomadic life prep and this step aims to explain the actions that someone needs to take beforehand to optimally transition from a normal stable life one could call to this new digital nomad life Of course, this transition requires a lot of considerations. And the main considerations that we talked about within this first step of the system are financial considerations, also logistical considerations, and finally, psychological or mindset considerations. And I think the topic today, it's very clearly a sort of logistical consideration someone needs to make. The idea here is that if you lived in a stable life, over the years, most likely you start to gather or to to keep stuff, right? Most likely you were not a very minimalistic person because there was no reason for you to be. You had a house, you had a stable place, but that becomes an issue when you decide to become a digital nomad because you most likely won't be able to bring everything you own with you. Some of the things maybe you don't want to, you know, get rid of. So you need to find a long-term storage solution. So the first question for you, Mr. Jack, is when you started your 
Digital Nomad Life. Did you do anything in terms of long-term storage? Well, personally, I don't have a lot of things in the first place because mm -hmm. here we at Nomad Tactics, we recommend people to take on a more minimalistic lifestyle yep. if you're going to take on a digital nomad journey. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a lot of things in the first place and I store most of the things at my parents' house. Okay, which is one of the solutions we, we're going to talk about. Yeah, and how about you? So yeah, I did sort of a mix, I would say. So certain things I left in self-storage, which is another solution we will talk about. And... Other things I, uh, same as you, I left with uh, family and actually some with friends as well. I see. So you, you put your things in a lot of places. Yeah, I diversified, let's say. <laughs> so you take more than just one option. So uh, we just make this assumption like a person who needs a storage option that he's probably not a minimalistic person. Mm -hmm. But in what different circumstances will a digital nomad or a person will need to store his things? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the basic assumption, the basic consideration we, we need to make here before we start to talk about the actual long-term storage solutions is that we are assuming you are renting because if you were to own a place, the solution would perhaps be very straightforward. You own a place, you just leave your things there and you go to your new digital nomad life. And even if you were, let's say, to rent the place out or to list it on Airbnb, you could put your things there and list uh, your flat as furnished with your things. So that would be perhaps the most straightforward solution. Of course, I think the majority of people that want to embark in this new digital nomad life are quite young people and they do not yet own a place. Do you think that's a fair assumption for us to make? Yeah, I think so. I think, of course, if you don't have a place... you got to like, think about other solutions. you got to think about how to store things. Yeah. And uh, so before you start looking at the storage options, mm -hmm. what kind of things do you think about it before you actually pay your service and store things? So before, yeah, before considering the, the solutions... There are a couple of questions that I think is very useful for you to, to ask yourself. The first question, perhaps the most important question is, is it worth to store my things in the first place? And the, the rationale here is more or less the following. If you evaluate the things you have and you conclude that the value of the things and the utility of the things is not that high, perhaps you will be paying more for the long-term storage than the actual value of the items, actually how much the things are worth. It, it would be cheaper for you to sell your things and buy new things uh, once you came back to your home country, let's say. That's something we were discussing a couple of days ago, how when we started this Digital Nomad Life, we the first thing we did we went through the things we owned and we decided which things are important for us to keep in our home country and which things uh, were okay for us to get rid of. Yeah, I think it's a, one of the process that every digital nomad has to go through yeah. if they actually thinking about going a long-term travel. And if you think about it, getting rid of things can be actually a very good option. Some people would argue you could get rid of 
everything that you're not taking with you. Well, that's might, a little bit extreme, I would say. It is extreme, no doubt. Some people are, there are some benefits to that. And I mean, of course, you can get rid of things in slightly different ways. You can sell or you can donate. But for example, in the case you're selling things, you could raise quite a bit of money. And we know that this money could be invested in the basic year that you're going to take in your new digital normal life. Yeah, I know like some people on the internet do you recommend that you have all your belongings mm -hmm. that can fit into one bag. Yeah. I think they they call that one bag or something. Yeah. It, it's an interesting philosophy to live by. I mean, it, it ties really well with what you said previously to do with minimalism, right? So you said we advocate uh, not only us, of course, is a, a general trend within the digital nomad community to to try to be minimalistic. But I think if you were to get rid of things, you would, in some ways, taking this philosophy to heart, perhaps that would be something beneficial for you on the, the, the long haul. And yeah. apart from that, I think one more pragmatic reason why you would want to get rid of your things is because... If you don't have anything, in theory, you could cut some of the monthly expenses off that you might have if you decide to have some sort of long-term storage. Yeah, so you don't have to pay the yeah the monthly fee, ongoing fee when, you're on the, when you're on traveling. It's always a bothersome yeah. notion that comes in your head. So what's the next thing you have to think about um, before you decide to so pay So just service? two more quick considerations that I would make. The first one has to do with how long you intend to store your things. There is a very good reason to think about that. And the reason is that some solutions, some long-term uh, long storage solutions might be viable solutions for the short term. Perhaps they're not very good solutions for the long term. So just as an example, let's say you decide to store some of your things with family and friends. Perhaps they will be very okay with that if you leave your things for a couple of months. But if you were to leave there your things for years, that could be bothersome to them. Assuming you are entering this new digital nomad lifestyle for the long haul, that's something you got to consider, right? Yeah, exactly. For for how long are you going to store your yeah. things? Because I think everybody that is coming into this new lifestyle they usually don't come in already thinking about quitting, right? So you got to assume the scenario in which you're going to stay many years on the road, you know? Yeah, but I also uh, see a lot of digital nomads, they just go on, let's say they, they first plan to go on a year, then one year becomes two years, two years becomes five years. That's so true. So they never think about how long they're actually going yeah. to travel. Because it's hard, it's hard to predict. Because exactly. so many things can, can happen. Yeah. So... Um, so one final consideration I would make has to do with the storage facilities. Like, do you need any special requirements for the storage facilities? And these will, of course, depend on the sort of things you want to storage. Do you have super valuable things that require extra safety? Uh, do you have very delicate things, let's say, that require specific temperatures or very clean environment? Or do you have very fragile things that need to be handled with extreme care? I mean, I think for most of us, we don't have that many goods, that many things that... We don't we, have much valuables. 
<laughs> okay. You can say yeah. so. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. In my case, and I think in your case, we, we don't have that many like super expensive things that yeah. we need to put in a bank. Based on this consideration, we could go back to my initial point. Uh, when you ask me, what was my long-term storage solution? I said that I put my things in different places. I put some of the things in uh, self-storage, other things I left with my family, and also other things I left with some friends. That's very important to keep in mind. Uh, basically, there's nothing that is stopping you from using different long-term storage options depending on the nature of the thing you want to store. So maybe the more valuable things you live with family, maybe the more common things you live in self-storage or friends, I don't know. Yeah, the, those are quite thoughtful consideration before you decide to pay a service. Yeah. And like you said, you can always choose more options yeah. than just one single options. That's true. Yeah. So let's go into the main topic of today, the storage option for Digital Nomad. Mm -hmm. So here we divide the option into two categories. Mm -hmm. One is the common one. Mm -hmm. One is the not so common one. Yeah, the, the usual methods, one. the usual options and the unusual yeah let's say exactly so the first one is uh, self-storage self-storage i think most people are familiar with this kind of service nowadays it's basically a service that allow people allow individuals to rent a secure and convenient storage unit you can keep your goods there for quite a long period i don't think there is a limit actually as i said i tried a couple of different self-storage services in the uk tried one called big yellow i was very happy with it so surely recommend their services if you live in the uk in the us i never self-storage stuff so it's kind of hard for me to say have you ever tried a self-storage place here no, in but asia I, but i did consider those lockers you i can, see you can which is a type of self-storage yeah. locker in the yeah. station or somewhere I see. I do I see. consider that before. Yeah. So some of the benefits of using self-storage. First of all, it's a set and forget uh, monthly payment system where usually you set a direct debit and they're going to deduct the amount every month. So you don't need to, you know, manually pay. Usually the facilities are quite secure. They have CCTV and, you know, uh, a lot of passcodes for you to get into it. Um, in perhaps in the case of the lockers you said, that would be a kind of self-storage that is not that secure. Depending on the country, people could try to, you know... Get into it. Get into it. Yeah. But the majority of services, they have their own warehouse with a lot of codes and stuff like that. Uh, other benefit is the fact that they have a lot of different sizes available, depending on how much you want to store. They sometimes have kind of special storage facilities so as i said previously maybe you need extra safety or kind of temperature control they might offer these options also some self storages not all of those have pickup and delivery of your things usually you pay an extra fee and they they can do that for you so yeah i think these are the main benefits do you have anything else to add yeah, I would like to add that um, this type of service is always kind of convenient. You can always mm -hmm. get there maybe 24 hours from my experience. Oh, yeah, the opening hours. Yeah, many of them offer 24-hour service, which is great. The drawbacks of self-storage 
first of all, some of those services have quite high setup costs, like setup fees. So if it's the first time you're going there to get your storage space, you're going to charge extra. There could be a security concern, as Mr. Jack said, if you use a locker or even if you use their own warehouse, who knows if you have something very valuable. I mean, but you just mentioned that like, usually they have keycard access and CCTV. But still, depending on the thing, I mean, I think the CCTV and the keycard access, they are great because if something happened, you could, in theory, see what happened exactly and they would be liable to pay. But if it's such a unique thing that it's irreplaceable, perhaps still not secure enough. I mean, so what I'm talking about is like, if you have some family jewelry, you can't really get any money back for that, right? Because it's something that has sentimental value more than a monetary value. That's what I had in mind. I see. And finally, perhaps the biggest drawback is the fact that you got to pay for it every month, right? Yeah. And that will be a monthly expense and you're going to need to factor in this expense in your monthly digital nomad budget. Yeah, no one likes to take money from their pocket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the next option we have here is what I did. Um, leave your things with friends or your family. Common solution, but great solution, I would say. Uh, this is when you simply ask friends or family to keep your things while you start your digital nomad life. Again, there are slightly different ways in which you can go about it. You can simply ask as a favor to your friends or family. Say, look, I'm going to do that. Can I keep this kind of stuff in your house? You can also borrow them. You can tell them, look, I, I have this toaster. And you ask, do you want the toaster? And if they want the toaster, you're going to give to them to use it. And when you're back, you get it back. Yeah, that sounds like a great solution for toasters. For if, you, toaster, if you have yeah. an extra toaster. Yes. Uh, or finally, you could actually offer to pay them. You know, maybe it will be cheaper than a self-storage. It's going to be a symbolic payment for the favor they're making. Yeah, or buying them a beer or something. Yeah, I guess more than one beer in that case. Right? <laughs> Benefits, uh, most likely free, at least if it's the, the favor option. So no monthly fees to pay. It could be very safe if you trust your friends or even safer if you live with your family. I think it's a great option, but there are some drawbacks, right? Mr. Jack, would you like to go over some of the drawbacks? Sure. Um, of course, the it can be sometimes embarrassing for you to keep your thing for a real long time. That's true. Yeah. So as we said, maybe you want to do this digital nomad life for the long haul, uh, yeah. years and years to come. It would be kind of weird to to leave two big boxes in their houses for five years. Right? Yeah, it would, it would. Yeah. And it would be hard for you to, if you want to store a really large item. Oh, yeah. No, like no. like a, what comes to my mind is a, a treadmill, vintage piano. Yes. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> know why would you have like... a piano yeah. hanging around your house when you decide to become a digital nomad. But it would be funny if you say, oh, hey, can I just leave? the piano in your house for a couple of days and then like 10 years pass or something. Yeah. So the last drawbacks of the leaving with leaving your things with your family or friends mm -hmm. is that if anything's happened to your thing, you 
you probably can't really complain to them because they're already doing you a favor. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, if the things were to get stolen or broken, somehow you would probably just need to accept it. I see. So the next category we have here is the uncommon approach. Yeah. So these are approaches that um, we heard people doing or uh, we have done ourselves. Actually, one of the approaches I, I done before, not in the beginning of my digital nomad journey, but after a couple of years when I came back, I changed it the, the way I would do it, the, the long-term storage. So yeah, these are just things that are not so commonly cited. So the first one we have here is subletting a flat. I know what you're thinking. That sounds weird. How can you use subletting a flat as uh, storage? But hear me out. I have a very good friend that actually does that, and it, it works really well for him. As the name suggests, when you're subletting a flat, you rent a flat from someone, so the flat is in your name, and you rent to someone else. Basically, you become a landlord also. So you're a tenant and a landlord at the same time. And when you are renting the flat to someone, when you're subletting the flat to someone, you're going to sublet your flat as a furnished flat with your things, right? So basically, the trick here is that you're storing your things as the furnished flat for this new person. And you might think, why would I do that? It sounds so complicated to do that. To be honest, depending on the flat and how much you like it, I think it makes sense. So let's go over some of the main pros, the main benefits of doing this approach. The first one is that uh, you can make money. You, you're going to be renting the flat to someone else. And usually when you're renting to someone else, you are asking for more than you are paying, right? So if you have a flat in a very good location, people are usually willing to pay more. First big benefit, you might be making money on top of storing your things. So it's like a double benefit there. Second benefit is that if it's a very good property and you really like it, you can always come back to it if you decide to stop your digital nomad life. So let's say that for one reason or another, things don't work out for you as a digital nomad. You never gave back the flat to the landlord since it's always under your name. You just need to cancel the new sublet agreement and you move back into your old flat. And finally, there won't be any ongoing monthly fees in the same sense of the self-storage. You might have some fees to do with uh, property tax or, I don't know, the bills. If you did everything right, you're going to be making more money with the sublet then you're going to be paying for it. Yeah, I guess this is type of thing. If you have this ongoing already, mm -hmm. you, don't really worry, have, you don't really have to worry about it. But if your main focus is to store things, I feel like this is a too much work to do. I think the main factors, the main variables here that might make the subletting option viable or not are number one, how good is the location of the flat? Because if it's in a very good location, there will be a high demand for it, right? So it won't be very hard for you to find renters. And also the initial price in which you pay. So if you could bargain down the price with your landlord and the market price or rent or the renting price is way above that, 
it won't be hard for you to find someone to pay this higher price. So you're going to be able to make this extra money and at the same time store your things there as the furnished. Yeah, I guess if you really want to keep your apartment, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So the other side of the coin of this approach is you have to find tenants. Yeah, to, yeah. As to you said, this might be logistically difficult, right? Yeah, it could be a bit annoying. And the second one is the if you find someone mm -hmm. and that person could cause damage to your things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Since you're leaving uh, your things there. Uh, the new tenant might break uh, some of the things and you won't like that, obviously. And yeah, so the third one is what we talked about. It can be seen as a benefit, but also a drawback is mm -hmm. you can't really change as we want to live after you finish the genome journey because you already have a renting contract with the landlord. Okay, I agree. So there is some sort of... Um, difficulty to change the arrangement since you're going to have a contract with your landlord it's true and the last one is you probably can really just go back to your place and say oh hey, let me hello. get the, yes. the toaster i just want to get that then the tenant <laughs> can say no it's mine so yeah i mean till they leave yeah till the tenant leaves you gotta leave your things there that's true, that's true. exactly so the next approach we have here is buying slash renting a, a place a cheap place. Yeah. Right? So this this approach is very similar to subletting, right? I wouldn't say so because you wouldn't be renting to someone else. You would be the one renting or buying the property. The idea here is that you should find a cheap place. You're going to put your things there and you can either rent the place or buy the place. Again, there are slightly, uh, slight variations uh, here. So you can get a commercial property, a very cheap commercial property, very cheap residential property, or one thing that not many people think about, you can get a container, ship container. This tend to be quite cheap. You should probably buy or rent this extra space in the outskirts of your town uh, instead of the city center because price in the outskirts tends to be much, much, much cheaper. And also, since you're not going to be in the city in the first place, you won't need constant access to your things. Therefore, it won't really matter where is the things, right? So, yeah, you can get in a kind of remote location if it's really cheap. I think that's, that's all right. Let's go over the main benefits of this approach. The main benefit is that it tends to be cheaper than self-storage options, especially if you have a lot of things to store. So if you have a lot of boxes, let's say it's hard to quantify exactly. You have a lot of boxes of storage. Uh, the self-storage places can get quite pricey. So maybe it's a better deal for you to rent or even buy a place yourself. Yeah, you're going to be saving money on the long term. Even in the buying option, I think like if you do the math, if you get a really cheap place, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be worth. The second benefit is that you have more flexibility or more options in terms of the insurance you want to get it. So sometimes self-storage places have only one type of insurance and sometimes they even force you to buy insurance. Since the place is yours, since it's uh, a place you're renting or buying yourself, it's up to you. Whatever store, uh, insurance you want to get, you can get it. And um, in the case you decided to buy the, the property, the space, you won't have an ongoing monthly fee in the same sense of the self-storage 
again, you're going to have other ongoing monthly fees like uh, property tax or something like that. But these tend to be way, way cheaper than the self-storage fee. One more, perhaps the final advantage of this approach is the fact that you can customize the storage space as much as you want. So if you want to make it really safe, uh, you can, you know, get a metal door, something. Yeah, to... you can put on any level of security. One. Yeah, yeah. Or if you want to try to control the temperature, I don't know, whatever you want. So the first drawback we have here is in case if you're buying the property, you have to have an upfront investment. Yeah. So again, you're buying property that might be uh, quite a bit of money. You, you got to do the math to see if it's worth it or not. Yeah. And the, the second here is you have to sort of the logistic while you're in travel. Mm -hmm. Or you at least have to... Get, get someone sets. to help you with that. Yeah. yeah. The logistics, I, uh, you probably mean seeing if everything is in order, pay the bills you need to pay, like property tax or whatever. That's what you mean, right? Okay. So the last one is you can really change places. So easily. Yeah. As, yeah, because you probably have a contract or you bought a place. So it's a more rigid kind of arrangement there. So it's hard to, to change stuff exactly. that quick yeah but as i said i i actually i did this for a while i rented a place in the outskirts of town and it was much cheaper to be honest it was much cheaper um but then at some point i decided that's it i'm gonna go even more minimalistic and i get rid of most of the stuff and i stayed with quite little and then since it was quite little, it didn't make sense to rent uh, a space myself. And I put on self-storage again. But what, what, in terms of cost, it was cheaper. So I think that's a, a very viable option for people. So the next solution we have here is sharing economy solution. Which is kind of an umbrella term, right? Yeah, it's um, like Uber for... Yeah, Uber, Airbnb. Spaces. That's That's basically what sharing economy means right so you are these websites that allow you to rent extra space from private individuals rather than a business like in the self-storage case and as you said you can think about the service in terms of the airbnb or the uber of storage right yeah exactly being very honest we we discussed about this before jack we never tried the services. We heard about those. I know a couple of people that tried those, but we never tried ourselves. So it's very hard for us to give a very strong recommendation. I'm going to simply mention two of these services that I heard other digital nomads or people more generally talking about. And these are, in the case of the UK, so if you live in the UK, there is a service called storagemates.code.uk so you could check it out and in the case of the US there is neighbor.com yeah we just never try those services you want to perhaps just give uh, some of the, the main advantages in your opinion about this kind of sharing economy solutions for long term storage so the advantage for this option is like first of all 
they tend to be cheaper than the self-storage service. That's true. That's true. And the second one is, you can always try to bargain the price. Negotiate the price. Yeah. It's a little bit like uh, comparing Airbnb and hotels, right? Yeah. It's much easier for you to try to negotiate the price down with an Airbnb host than a true a hotel. Not right. sure I'm going to actually negotiate the price if I'm going to put my things here for a year. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. They might say, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's cheap price. Come back, nothing there. Just no, take- no, but I think uh, most of the services, the ones that we mentioned, uh, I had a look on the website and it seems like they have insurances and I think they do some sort of background check on people, I hope. Um, and yeah, you can try to bargain down. By the way, uh, Mr. Jack, I think now would be an appropriate time for us to plug our Airbnb script, right? Yeah, it is true. Uh, we we do have a Airbnb negotiation script on our website, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, it's a, on the right side. A very it's- detailed, step-by-step yeah. script telling how to negotiate the price with the potential Airbnb host that you're going to live in. Yeah, it's on the right side. It's on like the right side, the right bar. Yeah, it's a little black widget. Yeah, you yeah. can see there's a check it out copper off the ebook. We yeah, we did research. We used different sources, online resources to formulate. Also, our personal experience. Also, uh, just talking to digital nomads in general, got tips from all these different sources, and you know, put them together into this little guide. But I think it's very useful, and you can save a lot of money. Yeah, sure. You just need to input your email address and you can get the the guide the script yes perfect so what are the drawbacks of this approach first drawback i think you kind of alluded to it might not be that safe perhaps i mean i'm, I'm not saying it's unsafe because some of the services claim they offer insurance but basically the idea here is that if something happened to your things depending on the service you use i'm not sure how easy it would be for you to get your money back or, I mean, the equivalent money from the lost or whatever. Maybe it's easy, but that's just something to consider. How much risk are you willing to take? Because you're living in the, your things in someone's house, so potentially there is a risk there. Also possible drawback is that most likely you won't be able to to get a storage space with any specific features or... You, you won't be able to ask for any special storing requirements like extra safety or special handling. That you, don't, you can have your things stored in the condition you want, basically. More or less, yeah. you got to adapt to the conditions they have. But I think that that's fine for most of us. Most of us don't, don't have such special things. We yeah, can just put it so. anywhere. Yeah. Um, and finally, the, the last drawback uh, is the fact that there is still... As far as I know, there's still not a universal solution in terms of a service that offer this kind of thing worldwide. So as we mentioned before, there is this website for the UK, there is this website for the US, but there is not like a universal thing like Airbnb is. So it might be kind of annoying. Yeah, to... so it's quite the region restricted services. Yeah, yeah. 
no doubt. Yeah, hopefully you're gonna expand their service. Yeah, onto the world. And uh, since so, Mr. B, we have gone through all the foreseeing solutions for this type of storage options.、Mm-hmm. Uh, which one is your favorite? I would say that my favorite solution is a mix of solutions. I don't know if you will agree with me, Mr. Jack, but in my case, I think that for the majority of the people, and if you just want a quick and easy solution, the best thing still would be to go for the traditional self storage. It's just too convenient. It's not that expensive, so I would I would still go for self storage. But in the case you live in a quite expensive city,、um, or for one reason or another the self storage is expensive in the area you live, then I would go for renting extra space yourself in the outskirts of your town. And finally, I would say that the very valuable things, both in terms of monetary value or whatever sentimental emotional attachment. You have. I would live with your family or very close friends because I don't know. It's just it feels safer. Maybe it's not safer, but it's just like feel like they wouldn't, you know, do anything with those kind of things. Yeah, I do agree. But I think the the most important things for any want to be digital nomad、mm-hmm. to keep in mind is like we should try to have at least. Things as possible. Yeah. If we actually going on the really long term journey. Yeah. yeah. If you know you have something stored in somewhere in your city, it's kind of、uh, bothersome to something to that's staying the the back of your mind. Yeah, it's always、right. come up. Yeah. yeah I agree so, with that. Yeah. So, Mister B, I think this is a end of the episode. Do you want to add anything to it? No.、Uh, surprisingly, I don't have any. Caveats or considerations to make yeah, today. Yeah, it is. So, if you like this episode, please make sure to leave a review and a rating on your listening platform. And if you want to follow us, you can always go on、uh, different social media, finding Norman Tactics like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and、uh, Pinterest. Pinterest, yes, and. Like、uh, Mr. B just said, if you want the Airbnb negotiation script, you can go on websites, nomantactics dot com,、mm-hmm. and you can find the open form on the right hand of the widget. It is the second one. Or alternatively, you can go on this podcast episode description to find out the short links to the Airbnb negotiation script. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. much.